0: Good morning. Good morning, fantastic to see you all here this morning, if you are new, if you're visiting, my name is Dave, I'm the lead pastor here at Connect Church, so welcome, thanks so much for coming, I know summer is one of those crazy times of the year where there's always someone on vacation, always someone traveling, So, um, but it's, maybe this is a time when you're not traveling right now and you're, uh, you're back home and you thought, you know, I've heard about this Connect Church, I'm going to go and check it out, so if that's you and you're visiting this morning, welcome, it's great to see you. We are um, about halfway through a series right now called Walls, and uh, each week is kind of a different wall, so uh, if, you've not missed, if you've missed the first two, you can just jump right in this morning, that's totally fine. And the idea is we're looking at some of the walls that we build up in our lives between us and others that can cause conflict, and, and even between us and God. And um, to set up the wall I want to speak about this morning, I want to tell you a little story. This happens just... Um, probably just actually a couple of months ago, I was in the kitchen and my sons, Ben and Will, were at the table and I could hear them debating something. They were arguing something and, uh, and Ben turns around and goes, Dad. I was like, what is it, bud? He goes, is it the Brooklyn Nets or the Brooklyn Mets? I think it's the Brooklyn Nets, isn't it? That's what he's saying. So I'm like, uh, well... Now, I need to explain at this point, if you don't know me, okay, if I was ever on a quiz show and the million dollar round was on sports in America, I would pretty much just check out right there. I mean, I'm coming home with nothing because I'm not the biggest knowledge uh, person when it comes to American sports. But as he was saying, the Brooklyn Nets, I'm thinking, that doesn't sound right. I think it's the Mets. I've heard of a team out east and, and I'm pretty sure it's the Mets. I said, no, Ben, I said, I think you'll find it's the Mets. He's like, no, dad, it's the Brooklyn Nets. I'm like, no, son, no, it's the Mets. I'm an adult, I, I know this, okay, you're a child, you're a teenager parents know best, I think you'll find it is in fact the Mets. Okay, so uh, now he's wavering a bit because he knows I am an adult. You know, dad knows everything, so maybe I'm wrong. I really thought it was the Brooklyn Nets, but uh, if dad says it's the Mets, it must be. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure. I mean, somewhere up here, the word Mets is hovering, and I know I've heard that word before. And I said, you know what? We'll Google it just to make sure. So I pull out my phone and uh, yeah, that's when it became problematic because uh, about 95% of you already know uh, where this is headed. Because uh, if we can pull up this slide, that is the logo for the basketball team, the Brooklyn Nets, as Ben very correctly called them. Uh, there just so happens to be another team out east, and they're called the New York Mets. Is that right? <laughs> New York. They're close. Brooklyn, New York. I mean, they're two completely different sports, one's baseball, one's basketball, but I was pretty sure that I knew what I was talking about. So I had that moment, and I'm sure you are all much better people than me, I had that moment where I was looking at my phone, I knew what the right answer was, and I'm like, do I tell him? Or <laughs> do I just stick with, nope, nope, yep, I was right, it was <laughs> Why do we do that? Why, in the moment when we, we've been proved wrong, do we hold on to what isn't true? There's something in us, isn't there, that just doesn't want to admit that we're wrong. What is it that makes us do that? You know, it's the same thing that keeps you from doing a lot of things and causes you to do a lot of things. I'm going to read off some things here and maybe you'll relate to one or two of these phrases because this is the one thing that keeps you from celebrating other people's success. It's the one thing that keeps you from initiating an apology when you know that you were wrong. It's the one thing that keeps you from initiating an apology when you were only 5% wrong and the other person was 95% wrong. It's the thing that keeps you arguing your point after the fact that you realize that you don't even really have a very good point, but you keep arguing. It keeps you from admitting you've lost. It keeps you from admitting weakness. It keeps you from admitting you need help. It keeps you from admitting you don't know what you're doing, even though everybody else knows that you don't know what you're doing. It keeps you from being honest with yourself. It keeps you from being honest with others. It keeps you from learning new things because you want the people around you to think that you know everything. It's what causes you to feel good when others fail. It's what causes you to power up when you should be opening up. It's what causes you to cheat before you allow yourself to lose. It's what causes you to lie about your past, a failed marriage, the fact that you never really graduated It causes you to have the final word, and it causes you to buy things to impress people who aren't even paying any attention to you. Does anyone want to have a guess what this is that causes all of these problems? Anyone want to guess? Pride. Absolutely pride. And that's the wall I want to speak about this morning because it is a wall that not only do many of us allow to be built up in our lives, but it is a big wall. It's a thick wall. It's a, it's a very tall wall. And actually, pride can become somewhat of a problem because sometimes there are other walls and other issues in our lives that we never actually get to deal with because we can't get past that first wall of pride. So I want to talk all about pride this morning, not the good kind of pride you feel when you're watching your kids game and they score the winning goal, touchdown, home run, or when they come home with a great report card. I'm talking about the ugly kind of pride. There was an English author, you'll have heard of him, his name is C.S. Lewis. And he wrote this talking about pride. He said, and and bear in mind, he lived in the the 50s back in England, so unchastity, that was a a big word back then, I'm guessing, but uh, you can Google it. It, it's, It's not a good word, but unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, they are mere flea bites in comparison to pride because pride leads to every other vice, Pride becomes this wall in our lives. If you were here last week, you'd have heard Josh speak from his heart, a fantastic message about um, some stuff that God's working on in his life and in and his family's life and how for him, the biggest wall to get through was just admitting that they needed help, was admitting that they needed people to come around and pray with them and, and talk to them and, and help them through these, these difficult steps that they're taking. And he kind of set the scene, I think, for what I want to speak about this morning because he was saying, listen, some of us miss out on getting the help we need because we're too proud to say, hey, would you help me? And this pride's like a wall that's so thick and so high in our lives. It can be the root of so many issues. And let's be honest, we can see it in so many people, can't we? When we look around, we're like, oh yeah, that's pride right there. I see that. Yeah, I, I saw the way you responded. Total pride there. Yeah, I call that. But you know what? When we look in the mirror, sometimes it's almost impossible to see. We don't see it in ourselves, but it's just as big of a problem. So I know we're all familiar with this idea of pride, but I want to spend a few minutes this morning just kind of defining it and, and helping to explain how it manifests itself in our lives and what it looks like. And, and hopefully as I walk through this, some of you will think, yep, that's, I, I understand that. And others will think, you know what, I'd never thought of it like that. And, and I see that in my life. Because we have this notion, don't we, that pride will puff us up. It'll make us bigger and badder. Whereas in actual fact, it does the opposite. Pride diminishes us. It actually makes us smaller and weaker. You see, specifically, pride will always diminish our capacity in these three areas. Pride diminishes our capacity to admit what we need to admit. It diminishes, it weakens our capacity to acknowledge what we need to acknowledge. And unfortunately, it diminishes our capacity to apologize when deep down we know that we should be apologizing. Because let's be honest, we've all been there, haven't we? If you're here in this room today and you're married, there's come a point at some point in your marriage where there was a disagreement, there was some tension, you didn't see eye to eye on something, and, and um, despite being happily married and so in love with one another, you just you had an argument. And it didn't end well, and, and it's kind of carried on through the day a little bit. You, you notice that, you know, kind of the, the uh, maybe your spouse is putting the, the dishes away, and they're just a little bit louder. They're going into the cupboard. Have you noticed that? And the, the cupboard doors are slamming a bit harder, you know, or, or maybe you're the, your husband, and it's just those one word answers. Yeah, uh huh, yeah. And you sit down to dinner, don't you? Just, just the three of you the end of the day and it's you and it's your spouse and it's that elephant that's been in the room all day (laughs) you're just kind of sitting there eating dinner together and just that tension that awkwardness that discomfort because you both know that you probably both had something to own in that disagreement but it's pride pride sat right in the middle there and pride is is saying to you well you got to wait she needs to say sorry first or she's saying hey He's the one that started this. He, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but he definitely was worse than I was. He's saying, you know, she pushed my back. She knows I've got an anger problem. She should allow for that. And it's pride that's rationalized and all these reasons why we don't just step out and say, you know what, hey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said what I said. I'm, I'm sorry that I reacted that way. It's not you. It's me. I was, I was wrong. But pride so often stands in the way of that, doesn't it? It stops us from doing what we know in our hearts to be right. Pride is that powerful. It actually diminishes our ability to do what we know we need to do. That's why it makes us smaller, not bigger. And as we get smaller and smaller, this wall of pride in our lives, if we're not careful, will get bigger and bigger, and it will start to crowd out people in our lives. Relationally, it will start to, have, um, a, a, it'll start to affect those relationships in our life and that, that wall will start to block people off and pride starts to crowd people out. And you know, it doesn't just crowd people out. That pride, it can crowd God out of our lives. Maybe you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're still kind of exploring this. But either way, pride can be a wall that comes between you and God. Listen to what a man by the name of David. You'll know David. He was the shepherd boy who killed Goliath. He went on to be a mighty king and a mighty ruler. And he wrote many of the Psalms that you find right in the middle of the Bible. There's there's lots of Psalms. And a lot of them were written by David. They were songs and and poetry that he wrote from his time sat with the sheep, just reflecting on how amazing God is and, and thinking about God. And in Psalm chapter 10, verse 4, thinking of this subject, David says this. He says, In his pride... The wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. David's saying here that pride can actually push God out of the picture if we're not careful. If we're not careful, our pride can actually form a wall between us and God. You know, maybe some of you have heard the song, Jesus, Take the Wheel, Okay, it was a song that was popular a while back. Um, some of you this morning may have thought it was actually a verse in the Bible. Uh, it's not. It's a country song. Um, and while I have a very hard time endorsing a country song this morning, um, the concept of the song is a good one. Okay? The idea, Jesus, take the wheel, there's some great thought to that. Because it kind of is talking about the, the vehicle being our lives, you know, and the singer is saying, Jesus, I want you to take the wheel. I want you to have control. I want." And, and there are some of us here this morning, we're thinking, oh yeah, I've done that. You know, I can remember the time, you know, where uh, it wasn't so long ago, or maybe it was when I was a child, but I said, Jesus, I want you in the vehicle. I want you to be a part of my life. You can just sit right back there in the back seat. It'll be great, you know. You can kind of call out if you want, but uh, you can kind of sit back there, and uh, I'll just feel a bit better because I'll I'll know that you're here with me, and I feel a little bit safer, you know, knowing that you're right here in the car with me. uh, But kind of just keep it down a bit, you know, and uh, you can ride back there. And some of you this morning are saying, "Oh no, I'm far more spiritual than that. Jesus don't ride in the back seat of my car. Jesus rides shotgun." He's right up here next to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I love Jesus. He is right up here next to me. He's riding shotgun. He's, he's sitting right next to me and it's going great, you know. And, but every now and again, he just reaches over and grabs the wheel. I'm like, what are you doing? Keep, keep there. I mean, I let you ride up front. Keep your hands off the wheel. That's dangerous. I'm trying to drive here. And some of us—that—that's that, pride. We're saying, "Hey Jesus, I don't mind you riding shotgun. I don't mind you riding up front with me. You can even give me some some hints and some ideas on where you think I should go. But keep your hands off the wheel. I'm in charge here. I'm in control. I'm going to decide where this vehicle goes." But like the song said, "Jesus, take the wheel." That's—that's that's pride. The reality is that um, as a follower of Jesus this morning, we should be willing to step back and say, "Jesus, take the wheel." I believe that you have a greater um, idea of who I am. You have a greater plan for my life than I could ever imagine. And by giving you that control, by releasing that control to you, it's kind of scary. But I believe you've got my best interests at heart. But the only way that can work is if I'll allow pride in myself to die and say, You know what, Jesus? You know best. Because pride, it doesn't only crowd out others in our lives. If we're not careful, it can crowd out God and push him away from the place that he so desperately wants to be in our lives. And before long, if we're not careful, this wall of pride builds up like a 360-degree wall all around us, crowding out others, crowding out God. This is the kind of pride, this is the kind of attitude that builds that wall. And, and I want to um, ask a question this morning, you know, the, um, the, the simple question, how do we knock down that wall? Because let's be honest, as we've talked about these, these walls through series, there's a series, there's a chance that some things we talk about that maybe people will say, yeah, I can relate to that. And others say, Who can't, I can't really relate to that. You know, that's a good message, but it's not really for me. I think if we're all honest with ourselves this morning, to one degree or another, Every one of us faces this challenge of pride and how big it can become in our lives. So how do we knock down that wall? How do we stop that wall from getting out of control and getting too big? Here's what I believe is the simple answer to that question, is to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. An invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to unfollow pride. An invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to unfollow pride. Now, let me explain what I mean by that this morning, because I know that some of you here this morning, you may be new to Connect, maybe it's your first time, maybe you've just been coming for a short while. Maybe you've got friends who come here, and you know people who attend here, and and you would say, yeah, I know that person, and I would say that they are a follower of Jesus. I see the, the lifestyle they live, I see the difference in their life. I know that they've kind of acknowledged that they've fallen short in in their life of perfection. They've realized they've messed up. They've done things wrong. And and they've come to that point in their lives where they've made that decision to ask God to forgive them. Many of us here this morning have arrived at that place and say, God, I can't do it on my own. I need you to forgive me. Many have made that decision to ask God to forgive them. and, And they've put Jesus at the center of their lives. Jesus is at the wheel. Some of them have even gone as far as to go public with their faith and get baptized, and stand here in front of all of you, and, and go into the tank, and come out, and say, you know, this means so much to me. I want you to know the difference Jesus has made in my life, and, and they themselves this morning would, would say, we are followers of Jesus, and as I say, you know, the way to, to die to pride, the invitation is to follow Jesus. Maybe some of you like, I'm not sure if I'm ready to follow Jesus yet. I mean, I'll agree. I can see the difference it's made in my friend's life, but I've still got these questions. I've, I'm just not really sure. There's a lot of stuff I'm struggling with, a lot of questions I've got. If God is such a good God, I don't understand why there's so much pain and suffering in the, in the world. I'm not sure I'm ready to believe everything that's in the Bible. There's some, there's some crazy stories in there. And I'm not sure I'm ready to embrace all of that to be a follower of Jesus. Listen, my heart this morning is that all of you discover what it means to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's my desire. That's why we planted Connect Church. But I want you to know that you can make a decision to, to ask Jesus into your heart and still not know all the answers. You haven't got to figure everything out before asking Jesus to be the Lord of your life. And I recognize that maybe some of you here this morning, you're not ready to take that step. But I want you to know that you can still unfollow pride and you can still follow Jesus. You can still, this morning, follow this advice. You can see, see, whether you're a full-on follower of Jesus or whether you're still exploring your faith, you can still knock down the wall of pride in this way by following what Jesus taught and the way he lived his life. Every one of us, wherever we find ourselves on our spiritual journey, we can look to Jesus. And I'll tell you why this morning. You see, I think the more you learn about Jesus, who he was and what he taught and what he did, the more you will want him to be a part of your life. Because Jesus modeled the answer. Jesus modeled the lifestyle that put pride to death. He turned it upside down, and, and if that's something that you genuinely don't want to have in your life, you, you know, when I read those things at the beginning, you thought, man, I see a little bit of that in me, and I don't like it. I don't want that to be what I'm known as. I don't want that to be the kind of person I am. How do I change that? How do I? Well, follow Jesus. Follow the example. Follow the teachings and the lifestyle and the example that Jesus set. You see, Jesus taught a large crowd one day what it really looks like to be blessed, a guy by the name of Matthew, he, he tells the story of Jesus' life. He's one of the four gospel writers. And in Matthew, he's, he tells this story of Jesus standing out and, and giving this speech that was called the Sermon on the Mount. Sometimes it's called the Beatitudes. You may have heard it called that. And he lists all these different things that Jesus said um, were the keys to living a blessed life. And they weren't what people were expecting. They were very countercultural cultural in, in what he was sharing. And here's one of the things he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. He said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. Now, that's not a word we use very often in our vocabulary today, but I think we all know what meek means. It's kind of the, the humblest. Really, if you think about pride, it's probably the complete opposite spectrum. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, I'm doubting that there are many of you this morning here who have a post-it note on your mirror that every morning you get up and you get ready and it says, go on out there and you be meek. You take this world. You are great. You are awesome. You be meek. It's just not really the, the kind of pump-up phrase you want to start the day with, but that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, blessed are the meek. In a culture where religious leaders were puffed up and used to being followed and, and had privilege, where there was a pecking order in the society of the, the New Testament, Jesus turns it upside down completely. And he said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. And he didn't just teach it, he lived it. We can read about a time that Jesus washed his disciples' feet. These were the followers of Jesus. And it was the lowest of low position. There was somebody in every household that would wash the feet of the guests as they arrived. And it would have been the servant. It would have been the lowest position. And one day they went to this home and there was no one there to wash the feet. So I think the disciples were all kind of looking at each other and thinking, I'm not doing it. I'm not, I'm not touching your feet. And they're all kind of looking at each other. And Jesus gets down with a bowl of water and a towel. And one by one, he starts to wash the feet. He modeled it in his lifestyle. He lived a selfless life, serving others. You know, after his death, many years later, Paul, um, a follower of Jesus who went on to help start the church in that that area, he writes to a church in Philippi, the Philippians, and he's telling them about this attitude that Jesus had. It's in Philippians chapter 2, and he says this. He's talking about Jesus, and he's describing him to the people in this church. He says, listen, listen. Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, Think about that for a moment. If there was ever a man that walked on this earth, who deserved to be proud, who deserved to put himself first, who had the right to say, I am what I say I am. It was the Son of God. It was Jesus. And yet he chose to come to serve. He chose to even become obedient to death upon a cross. And pride whispers to us and says, well, they hurt me. They offended me. My my pride is going to build a wall that will keep them out and me in because I don't like the way they treated me. But Jesus was innocent. Jesus was hurt. Jesus was beaten and he was killed and he did nothing wrong. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And he's not looking for us to, to die a death like that, but he is looking for us to die to ourselves. All he wants us to do is say, I'm sorry, to let go of the anger, to write the letter, to do whatever it takes to knock down that wall of pride that we've allowed to be built up, that maybe we've even built ourselves. It's that dying to ourself that Jesus modeled that will knock down that wall. He set the example for us in how he taught us to live our lives, and he set the example in how he lived his life. Someone who completely understood this and lived this out was a man by the name of John the Baptist. I'm sure many of you have heard of John the Baptist. He was um, um, a religious figure who kind of led the way. He prepared the way for the coming of Jesus. And he was doing amazing things in, in that time, had many followers. He's a great example of someone who would have had to have worked hard to destroy that wall of pride in his life because he had a lot of people following him. He had a lot of people coming to listen to him, coming to hear him teach, coming to watch him baptize others. John was no different than you and I are this morning. Pride was knocking at his door in just the same way as it does in our lives every day. Because think about it this way, okay? I heard a guy teach on this once, and it's, it's so true you see we all have this appetite to be known we all have this appetite to be known we want to be friended we want to be followed we want to be liked we want to be mentioned now that's not a bad thing in and of itself I think God's made us that way we're social people we want that interaction we want people to be a part of our lives but if we're not careful especially in this social media world that we're we're moving into it can be a dangerous place to be Life now becomes more of a popularity contest. We're checking in, aren't we, to see how many likes our post got. Kind of builds us up a little bit, doesn't it? I think maybe some of us here this morning have a hard time remembering the last picture that someone else took of us. Because all of our pictures are selfies. You know, if pride is all about focusing on self and not others... We probably shouldn't be surprised this morning that Kim Kardashian, who released a book a while back full of selfies of herself. Yeah, it's true. And the title of the book, Selfish. That's just crazy. This this kind of culture we live in where all the attention now is being focused on self, where, where someone unashamedly publishes a book about themselves and calls it selfish. It's no wonder that pride is building up all around us. Because we're always looking for more. And this this wall of pride is slowly being built one brick at a time. And the problem with this appetite to be known is like all appetites, it's always hungry for more. It can never be fully satisfied. So let's look at John and see how he dealt with this. Let's look at John the Baptist this morning and see how he dealt with this. Because there are a lot of people who came to see John. There are a lot of people who came to hear him, and and I would imagine that over time, with this appetite to be known, there could have been a part of them that thought, yeah, I am it. People want to hear me. People want to see me. I am the man. A temptation that we may face on a regular basis, but listen to how John completely turned it around. In Matthew chapter 3, talking about John the Baptist, Matthew says, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Listen, John was a big deal. He was like a, a celebrity of his time. No one up till this point had baptized people. This was a new thing. And hundreds, probably thousands of people were coming out to see him. Matthew says here that um, all Judea and the whole region of Jordan, he's saying... Hundreds, thousands of people. You know, sometimes maybe you've, you've watched the Bible movie or some of those Bible, and you've seen that, that one scene where John's there in the Jordan. He's baptizing people, and, and there's like a half a dozen ladies over here. They're kind of washing some stuff in the river, just kind of watching. There's maybe a couple of guys mending their nets. I, I don't think it was like that. I think there were crowds and crowds of people who were coming just to see John the Baptist. But listen to what he said. And he says this time and time again. Many gospel writers tell the story of John the Baptist. And they all capture this phrase that he says. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I. Whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's saying, listen, I'm nothing. The Messiah is coming and he is a big deal. He is and, and it's great that he lived this way. And I think there's probably many of us here who are followers of Jesus, we live that way too, saying, oh, no, 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 it's, it's Jesus. He's amazing. You know, it's, and Maybe um, you, you have the opportunity to uh, be used by God. There's a gift you have. And people come and say, hey, you did great there. And you're like, oh, no, no, it's, it was all God. But, but John didn't just say this. John actually lived it. Listen to what happened next. In John chapter one, it says, the next day John was there again with two of his, his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, The Lamb of God, that's him. That's the one I've been telling you about. This is Jesus. Now, he's there with two of his disciples, John the Baptist. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. In that moment, John's friends unfollowed him. And we don't like that, do we? When we find out we've been unfollowed in this Facebook world, that's like, hey. (laughs) And in that moment, John's been talking all about Jesus, and now people are leaving him to go and see Jesus. That's really the true test of of where that wall of pride stands in your life. And listen to how John responds. Because some of his other disciples aren't happy about this. They're like, hey, John, you've done all this work, You've been doing all this faithfully and now everyone's leaving you and going after Jesus? We need to do something about this. We need to stop them. We need to to bring them back. And listen to what John says to his remaining disciples. He says, listen. A person, in John chapter 3, verse 27, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. That joy is mine and is now complete. And then John says one of my favorite things that um, I've read, and it's something that I try and pray as a prayer all the time in my life. John says, he must become greater, I must become less. Right there in that statement, John shows us how to knock down the wall of pride in our lives. He says, he must become greater, I must become less. What John's saying is, I want people to look at me and I want them to see more of Jesus and less of John. When people see me, I want them to see Jesus, not John. That's my goal in life. John didn't live for himself, he lived for others, and to see Jesus' name lifted up. So, when Jesus arrived and people started following him instead of John, that didn't affect him because he'd been preparing for that. He wanted people to follow Jesus. You know, I love that he had that selfless attitude. Jesus had that. Jesus went on to live a life like that, where he washed the feet of his disciples, where he served others. He came to to, um, serve instead of be served. And I love it when I see that modeled in the lives of followers of Jesus in this day and age. I see it such a lot in Connect, and I love seeing it. I love people um, who I get to know and I get to see, and I, I see them serving I was just I just stopped by the office this week and I was um, I just stopped in and I could hear some noise upstairs and I wasn't sure who it was and I went upstairs to find out it was just one of our volunteers who um, had come in and she had some spare time and she was just there getting some stuff ready for Connect Kids just by herself and I just I left that day thinking man if I hadn't have stopped by she would have done all this and no one ever would have known still no one would have known had I not told you the story this morning. But just there, wanting to serve and do something to help prepare for our kids this morning. I love that there are people who come here early to set up every Sunday. There are people that Connect who give countless hours to serve on, on the teams around here. The people who have signed up to help in a couple of weeks with Family Fun Fest. They're all saying, I'm willing to serve. And what I love about it is it's not because they love getting up early and carrying chairs. It's not because, you know, we couldn't afford the gym membership, so you know, I'll get my work out on a Sunday as I'm carrying the I will be honest with you, these are great men and women, but when I see them getting here to sit up, I think, you know what, they probably this isn't their first choice of places to be this morning. Given the option of sleeping in, having breakfast. But there's just something in them that that they want to serve. They've they've, they've seen this. and, And it's not necessarily because they want to work hard against pride. But in doing this, they are knocking down any chance of that wall of pride growing in their lives. So whether it's getting up early, whether it's corralling a line of kids waiting to get on a bounce house. The truth is, I'm sure there are other places people would rather be. But if Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, can come to serve instead of served, if he was willing to wash the feet of his disciples, how much more should I do this? Because in serving in this way, not only are we helping to lift up the name of Jesus, not only does it lead to others being blessed here this morning, we are pushing down the wall of pride that so easily gets built in our lives. We're actually living this lifestyle of saying, you know, my desire that he would become greater and I would become less. As I serve, it's just another opportunity to see Jesus become greater in my life. And, and my pride, my, myself who really doesn't you know, want to get up, it doesn't, it's, it's saying, no, I want to serve in this capacity. So here's my challenge to you this week. Here's my challenge as we close out this morning, um, looking at this particular wall of pride in our lives. You know, I think for all of us, we've probably um, been sitting here thinking, and, and I love that this happens every, every week when one of us is up here speaking, is that you'll be out there and, and you'll be filtering this into your context. You'll be thinking, okay, how does this apply to my life? What can I do? So, so here's how I want to help every one of you this week. Look at this wall and, and challenge this wall. I'd like to challenge you to pray a prayer this week. Make this like a, a daily prayer that you pray every day this week. I want you to ask you to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I want you to become greater and me to become less. Jesus, in my life, I want you to become greater and I want me to become less. Because God, if I make that my target, if I make that my goal... I won't have to keep trying to fight the battle against pride because the battle will already be won because the greater you become in my life, the less I become, the less chance there is of that pride coming up. So pray that prayer this week. Say, God, I want you to become greater. Maybe there's something practical you could do. Maybe, maybe you could kind of follow up that prayer, prayer by saying, God, show me how pride manifests itself in my life. God, would you show me those areas of my life that um, I've allowed to kind of let pride creep in and that wall to be built? Would you show me those areas of my life? And pray that it'll show you. Maybe, maybe it's not a prayer. Maybe you need to sit down with your family. Maybe you guys go out to lunch today and you sit there at table and uh, you turn to your family and you say, Hey, you guys see any pride in my life? I'd wait towards the end of the meal, because uh, it might not be much of a fun lunch after that. Especially if it's like, you don't see pride in my life, do you? And everyone's like, kind of looking at each other and looking around, like, are you gonna tell him? I'm not gonna tell him. <laughs> Maybe you have a conversation with your spouse or with your kids or your family saying, hey, you know, Dave was talking about pride this morning. Where, what are some areas in our lives? What are some areas in our marriage? What are some areas in our family where we've let pride creep in and it's caused problems? Because I want to identify that and I want to put pride to death. I don't want that to come and cause that wall in our family. So as we pray that prayer that he would become greater, we would become less. I want you to picture this, this image in your mind. I heard this um, lady share this story once. She was talking about um, pride and self in our lives. And she was talking about how you can defeat that by, by serving in, in humility. She says, you know what, Dave? It's like two dogs. It's like two starving dogs. They're both barking. And, and you have a choice. You can feed either one of those dogs. Whichever one of those dogs you feed, they'll get bigger and they'll get louder. And whichever one you don't feed will eventually get weaker and quieter. She says, you may have pride in your life, and the more you feed that, the more you allow that to be fed, the bigger it'll get. But you may have an opportunity to serve. You may have an opportunity to do something um, outside of your own circle, outside of your own self. And as you feed that... So that dog gets bigger. She goes, very rarely do you feed them both at the same time. You either feed one or the other. And the decision you make, whichever one you decide to feed, will determine which one has the most power, the most control, and the most noise in your life. So I pray as you're praying this week, God will start to show you some areas where pride can be uh, stop being fed. And humility serving the uh, way to, to live a selfless life like John the Baptist and Jesus will be fed instead. Let's pray. Father, this is a big war, Lord. Big in the sense that every one of us in here at one time or another has battled it. Big in the sense that it's very easily built in our lives because we, we allow little things. We, we have this desire to be known and our own self-importance. And before we know it, we're allowing pride to become bigger and bigger. And it's a dangerous war, Lord, because it can, it can crowd out relationships in their life. It can crowd out our relationship with you. So, God, I pray in Jesus' name that... Um, all here this morning would would go, whether they are, wherever they are in their spiritual journey, followers of Jesus still exploring, they still would say, God, would you show me the areas of pride in my life? Would you show me how pride manifests itself in my life so that I can um, head that off? And for those here this morning that have made the decision to follow Jesus, I pray that their prayer, like John the Baptist, would become, I want him to be greater and me to be less, more of Jesus, less of me. In everything I do, more of Jesus, less of me. I pray this prayer would echo in our minds throughout this week. In Jesus' name, amen.